Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This is the Catholic Disinfo Hour, celebrating its second year of weekly production. The Rundown is a collaborative Catholic news and opinion show endeavoring to expose and mock the Build Back Better New World Order in both civil society and the church. We've correctly predicted lockdowns, mandates, elections, and public frauds of all manner. Covidians hate us, normies try to ignore us, and fake news organizations wish they could be us. This is The Rundown. Brought to you by Restoring the Faith Media. RestoringTheFaith.com. This is your Friday night addiction. The Fab Four are assembled. We are so lucky to have three of the four in the RTF multi-trillion dollar compound tonight. We're going to be talking about Elon Musk taking over Twitter. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Is he a white knight or a dark knight? Fauci is finally back in the news once airplanes uh, took their masks off. We have plenty of videos about that. Sleepy Joe Biden, fake Catholic usurper-in-chief. He's around. He's being led around by the Easter Bunny, apparently. And we're going to talk about groomers. Lots of groomers. Don't say gay is happening in Florida. The attack on Mickey Mouse is real. Hi, my name's Tony Fernandez. I use he, him pronouns, and I'm the lead of content moderation here at Twitter. Before I get started, I would just like to acknowledge that Twitter's head office occupies the unceded ancestral homelands of the Rami Tushalani people, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. It's not theirs in the sense that we've ever provided them any sort of compensation, nor do we intend to, but we contribute with our words, which is basically as good as money. Fun fact, they don't even believe in money or have a word for it. The reason I'm making this video is in response to Elon Musk recently purchasing 9% of Twitter. Normally I wouldn't dare call out a neurodivergent African-American. However, I feel compelled to as our democracy and the safety of my coworkers is at stake. Mr. Musk has accused Twitter of being against free speech. However, Vladimir Putin and the head of the Taliban both have accounts on our platform. Explain that. We can't. I mean, you can't. Sure, we banned the sitting president of the United States for life with no recourse, but had we not done that, the QAnon shaman would probably be the Speaker of the House right now. And we admittedly screwed up by not allowing the New York Post story about Hunter Biden's laptop to be shared right before the election, but we had a policy about not sharing hacked materials at the time. And, in our defense, we did reverse that policy, which allowed all the donors to that Canadian Nazi trucker convoy to be exposed. So we do get some things right, like recently when we locked the account of the satire site to Babylon Bee for calling Rachel Levine Man of the Year. She is a woman, and we don't allow hateful content on our platform that isn't directed at the previous administration or any members of the Russian government. More importantly, Twitter is a private business and has the right to refuse service to anyone we choose. Just like a restaurant that won't serve an unvaccinated person, but not like a bakery that won't bake a cake for a gay couple. Mr. Musk fails to realize that with every tweet criticizing Twitter, he puts every one of us in real danger and will face violence in the form of tweets that they have to see. Please 
the airplanes took the masks off is carry extra masks with you and make sure that your neighbors around you in your row anyway wear those masks if people want to stay safe the best thing they can do high quality masks and that when possible carry some extra masks i know this sounds crazy but if you tell someone next to you on a plane pay a 95 and just say or surgical mask and just say i've got an elderly mother at home i've got a child with cancer at home will you please do me a favor Having the people at least closest to you in that row, protecting yourself and them, can be the best safety. So carry some extra masks with you. Carry some rapid tests with you if you're traveling. Ryan, I know this sounds crazy, but you should be swabbing the nose of the person on the plane next to you right before you hand them an M95, yeah? <clears throat> is that an anal swab, a swab or a nose swab? This is a, this is a family-friendly show! <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a thing for a while, wasn't it? Um, well, the, I, yeah, uh, they were they were doing that in China. In yeah, China. they were. Yeah, they the, were. The, the bend over the bend over swab or the uh, you know touch your brain swab through their uh, whatever else. They're breaking either uh, way. They're breaking some membrane. I don't know. Right. What. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Um, but it is crazy, actually. Um, that's why it sounds crazy because it it actually is. Um, yes, I'm going to since the government is no longer forcing people to try to determine their behavior. Now we have to force their behavior to force the narrative until we can get the government back to forcing it all over again. Uh, it, it's kind of absurd. And we're going to see a lot of this from all the same health professionals have been brainwashed in absolute ignorance of study after study after study after study showing that. Fauci diapers are of questionable uh, health benefit <clears throat> at, at all. I think it's and just so, crazy that Fauci's been hiding. He's been hiding under a rock. He was in Joe Biden's basement in Delaware, uh, like for the last six weeks with this war in Ukraine happening. And now suddenly uh, Fauci has reemerged. And, and the reason why he's reemerged, uh, J- uh, James, is because, uh, w- well, this happened. Imagine being imagine being mid-flight, James, and your flight attendant's like, oh, by the way, you guys can take this off. Yeah, you know, this is something that uh, a lot of people have been looking forward to for a long time, and you can kind of tell there's a huge relief in the faces and the emotions of the people who are flying, and... Uh, you know, I, I can imagine 
Uh, I've seen other videos, other reports where uh, people uh, cheered loudly, they clapped, and uh, everyone's happy to get this uh, phase over with. You know, yeah. so it's a good thing. I'm not sure why Fauci Ouchie is a little upset about that. Uh, here's here's the full announcement from the pilot midstream. April 18th, the Biden administration announced that the Transportation Security Administration will no longer enforce the federal mandate requiring masks in all U.S. airports and on board aircraft. Brother, uh, I'm thinking about flying again. <laughs> well, to be honest, it's, it's been something that's been on and off on different airlines, different different planes, depending on which ones you've been on and depending on which which uh, which flight attendants you've had. And so in one sense, it's it's finally good that the courts are acknowledging the freedom that we've been demanding. Um, but it's always still disconcerting because they're, they've not rejected the principle that they've t- taken away our freedom. It's just the fact that they've, they've thrown us a, a little Kit Kat candy bar for right now uh, to get us to be happy again, only to probably in the future, near future, to take away some other freedom uh, simply because they can. Fauci seems to be pretty ticked off, Ryan. Uh, here in this video, he believes that the CDC is above uh, any uh, repute is, and beyond the scope of any court of law. Both surprised and disappointed because those types of things really are the purview of the CDC. This is a public health issue. And for a court to come in, and if you look at the, the rationale for that, it really is not particularly firm. And we are concerned about that, about courts getting involved in things that are unequivocally public health decisions. I mean, this is a CDC issue. It should not, should not have been a court issue. So we're hoping that the inevitable increase in cases which we're seeing are not going to be associated with an increase in hospitalizations. So all of these dynamic things going on at the same time, it was perfectly logical for the CDC to say, wait a minute, we were planning on ending this mandate on a certain date. Let's wait a period of time until May 3rd, which was a very sound public health decision. So for a court to come in and interfere in that is really unfortunate. It's unfortunate because it's against public health principles, number one. And number two is because that's no place for the courts to do that. This is a CDC decision, and that's very bad precedent when you have courts making a decision and looking at what the basis of the decision was, it was not sound. This is a CDC decision, Ryan. This is not a court decision. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, although none of that really matters, if anybody gets sick, even once, uh, it all goes out the window, guys. The... There's a lot of chutzpah in this whole business. It's like, wait a minute, a sound public health decision, all data and all evidence has shown that every single public health decision made since the start of the uh, unspecified virus of unspecified origin has been bad or wrong or harmful to society or has made Mm -hmm. things worse and has not given any particular benefit to public health. So to the the kind of chutzpah say, well, you know, we we were going to do it anyway. But how dare they do it before we is because it's not sound. We're, we're the ones who know what we're doing. According to whom? Apart yeah. from the brainwashed masses that you, you've gathered around you. That's what I don't understand is he, he he designates, Ryan, he designates May 3rd as the cutoff day. To I mean, they, they, they struck this down on the 18th of April. You're talking about two weeks time. Uh, and he's talking about people being in hospital beds. 
uh, because of yeah. a two week differential. I mean, that you, you, how how brain dead do you have to be to believe this? Unfortunately, uh, it, it seems pretty common to believe whatever some health authority somewhere says, because the, the medical establishment is one of the biggest places for group think. Uh, so many physicians, they basically do what they're told. They're taught in medical school to do what they're told. They're discouraged from doing their own research. They're discouraged. So they kind of rest on their laurels and hand out whatever the uh, pharmaceutical companies are coming by saying that uh, their practice or their partner you know, practice or their hospital or whatever should be given out. So the they're already indoctrinated to basically do what authority says. Here comes authority mm -hmm. saying with well, a pseudo authority saying, yeah, you, you, you've got to do this. And they're all, you know, not all, but many are fall into line. The ones that don't, and there's a good number of them, they get canceled off of Twitter. They get canceled off of Fedbook. They get canceled off of whatever uh, they get their, their, they lose their jobs. Sometimes I've actually heard of doctors losing their jobs because they prescribed ivermectin. Or mm -hmm. are we allowed to say that one? I forget. You said uh, they, the I word on YouTube. We're taking a risk. <laughs> are, yeah, are we allowed to say that? Because I've seen where people have. But uh, anyway, beside that, um, I don't know. Maybe maybe that should get edited out. But well, it, I, here, here's the thing. Here's here's what can't get edited out is the notion that Fauci is back. He showed back up, and he has shown his cards. James, here's Fauci admitting that the only reason we have lockdowns is to force people to take. The injection. How concerning is the outbreak in China? We see the lockdown in Shanghai and the State Department now ordering families out, all non-essential workers out of Shanghai. Well, China has has a number of problems, two of which are that their complete lockdown, which was their approach, a strictest lockdown that you'd never be able to implement in the United States. Although that prevents the spread of infection, and remember early on, they were saying, and I think accurately, that they were doing better than almost anybody else. But lockdown has its consequences. You use lockdowns to get people vaccinated so that when you open up, you won't have a surge of infections because you're dealing with an immunologically naive population to the virus because they've immunologically naive population you use lockdowns here are what chinese children are wearing on their way to school James, if it gets too dystopian, you'll take the shot. That's that's what Fauci is saying. Well, you know, here's my thing, right? So we're looking at propaganda video from we get from the press, I suppose. And what I'm looking at now uh, reminds me of all the other videos that I've seen in the last uh, three years coming out from China. We see the worst of the worst videos coming out from China. You know, what, what this leads me to think is this has got to be some sort of uh, – propaganda for us in the West to sort of see a West case, uh, sorry, a, a worst case scenario of what could happen if we don't comply. And so we see these videos and we're thinking, I don't want this to be me. I'll do whatever it is you're asking me to do so we don't end up like the Chinese in lockdown, right? But this is only a way to continue to, uh, you know, lead us, you know, into this place where, uh, we can't ask any questions. We can't have any thoughts of our own. 
I mean, I, I doubt I doubt a population would want to take its children. Such, I mean, this is we're talking about uh, the, the communists here, right? Mm-hmm. They're taking their children and wrapping up like this. For all I know, this could be a government facility where all this is being done. You know, in order to to film to to film it and to present it to the West as this is what's going on. And Fauci, of course, is heralding this uh, the, this idea of what the Chinese is doing as something that uh, is where the U.S. should be headed. You know, of course, we're not going to go to that extreme. We're just going to reinforce, uh, you know, more lockdowns, you know, less severe as we probably saw in there with, with more masking, right? So that we don't get to, you know, what we just saw, which is full body suits, you yeah. know, with, with uh, you know, whatever head spacesuit covering that is. Of course, that's the ridiculousness of the whole thing, right? We're past that. And they, they know this, but there are people who would look at that and get trauma, trauma from seeing that video. So you get trauma from seeing that video and then you want to comply, you know? So this is ridiculous. Um, and, and you know, Fauci's presenting this as, as an option uh, for us to, to get, you know, down to zero. This is absolutely asinine. So evidently brother Martin, the, the, the department of justice is going to try to appeal this decision, which was made by a federal judge, a young woman, federal judge, Trump appointee, uh, she's now being um, accused of being unqualified to sit on the court because uh, she she is pretty young. Um, and the, the Department of Justice is trying to put the masks back on people's faces on airplanes. I happen to think, Brother Martin, that they are going to put masks back on people's faces on airplanes. That They're just intentionally giving us a taste of freedom right now. Uh, and, and then they're going to reel us back in. What say you? I think it's too close to the the midterm elections for them to really go too hard on this question. I mean, they might try to save face and, and say they're going through this process, but I mean, even in Alexandra, I forget, AOC, mm, real name, yeah. Cortez, AOC, the bartender, Cortez, the bartender from New York, uh, she's been saying the, the Democrats are are going to lose this midterm election. They're they're in deep trouble. So I think it's it's a really good opportunity for them to try to, to try to find a way out of their mistake um, in enforcing this for so long. Whether they're whether they're going to do that or not, I don't think so. Um, but it's it's their one chance. So if they try to force force it, in one sense, it's good because the people are tired of it. The people are tired, and so they'll they'll, they'll vote accordingly. Mm. And do votes actually matter? That's another question. Um, but I, I think with the midterm elections coming up, um, a new beginning might dawn. I don't know. This is a very divisive issue, Ryan, and uh, Tucker Carlson recently had Kanan Owens on to talk about it. Their discussion was pretty interesting. Here it is. I mean, what we're looking at, these people, Tucker, they're, they're just, they're sick. These are utterly sick, mentally unstable people who want people to suffer out of sport, out of sheer sport. We obviously know the science does not make sense. It never makes sense. Talk about science ever shifting. That's exactly what the CDC specializes in, making up things like you, as they go along, like, like they are actually, Simon says, in the child's game. And you know what? It is sad to me to see so many flight attendants celebrating and people that are in the seats because you realize people have just been suffering, fearful that they're yeah. going to go to prison. You the first announcement they hear, if you don't comply, you know, you can be arrested. Imagine having a federal charge because you didn't wear a mask over your face. We watch children suffer. We watch special needs kids get kicked off of planes for their inability to keep their mouths on, to keep their masks on their face, as well as young kids, as two years old, crying and screaming, not understanding why they're being made to wear a mask. And this is really just happening in America, by the way. I've traveled all across Europe. They've all released a mask mandate. So this is not oh, yeah. based in science. This is just based in control. The government took power. They don't want to give it back and to 
Ryan, I remember, I remember when the the young toddler, the special needs toddler, and the parents were kicked off of an airplane. I remember when uh, that that one man was bloodied up uh, and drug off of a United flight. He had blood coming out of his uh, nose and I think his ears too uh, for failing to wear the Fauci diaper. Um, I think all those people should sue. I sure would, if out of spite, if nothing else. But um, but really, too, look at. Oh wait, but wait, I forgot. <clears throat> can't listen to Candace Onans. Don't you know? She she comes from privileged background. She can't speak as a black woman. She hasn't actually checked her privilege, didn't you know? Because uh, she's conservative, so therefore she has privilege, even though that's like the most underprivileged uh, thought group around. But uh, besides what the loony left is going to say, really, she's not wrong in any of that. The... I don't know how to, I mean, she really put it best. It's causing so much suffering amongst children and you have people that they don't necessarily like it, but they have been so brainwashed and they're so terrified. They really believe there's this unspecified virus of unspecified origin. That's going to come out and get them if they uh, have to have their Fauci diapers off between one and three. And so they are dogmatically like the new red guards mm. or the new brown shirts, whichever totalitarian uh, model you want to go to. Uh, trying to force people in line, you're going to wear this or else. And and, and I think I alluded to it earlier that, uh, you know, this doctor or nurse or whatever coming out saying, yeah, it sounds crazy, but bring extra uh, Fauci diapers just to make sure everyone in your row has one. It, it, it's this is not based in science at that point, especially. Yeah. So wait, this mask, which has been sitting in my pocket. All right. I, I, I actually you know, tend more toward germophobia in certain respects anyway, not an absolute germaphobe, but um, I'm sorry. Don't, doesn't anybody know how microorganisms work? You have a mask in your pocket, the dirtiest place possible <laughs> where your hands go after going to the bathroom and forgetting to wash your hands one time or what, I don't know, fill in the blanks for all the reasons right. why, but, but that's where you touch things on the street and you put your hand in your pocket to get something. And I'm sorry that the, the germs are building up there. So you want me to put this piece of who knows what cloth, bandana, surgical mask that's been in your pocket where who knows where you've been, what you've been doing, uh, especially if you're a uh, elementary school teacher in Florida that's uh, recently left their job. I especially wonder what you've been doing. We're going to get um, there. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like you know, you, now you want me to wear this thing. And that's that's the psychosis. And they want the government to to be in control because it validates their having chosen their side and chosen their team. It validates that. Mm -hmm. So they, they can't possibly let go of this thing. And that's why they're going to keep forcing it. They're going to appeal it. <clears throat> and as is just like, uh, you know, she was saying there on Tucker, it is about control that they do not that the government does not want to give back in all the brown shirts that, it, that went along with it. They want to see that control. So if they don't see the government doing it, they're going to take it in their hands and try to do it. So get ready when this, um, you know, as we go, I would not be surprised if you didn't have issues on planes. Like I do we, I don't know if we played that video, but I'm sure most of our, most of the people out there saw it of, um, the, this one guy is sitting on a plane minding his own business and he's got this Trump shirt on. And then uh, this Karen just goes ballistic right wow. next to She absolutely goes ballistic, screaming and yelling and being an absolute uh, witch with a capital B about everything. And then uh, it, finally the flight attendant comes over. Um, I, I guess lucky for him, he was black, so they can't sue him, I guess. But uh, he kindly asked the, the lady and her husband to leave. And she's like, what? You're making me leave? Not him. After she's been screaming and tremming and hawing and throwing a fit 
and uh, demeaning this guy for what? For having political speech he doesn't like. And get ready for that kind <laughs> of thing. Her husband next to her, too. Is next to you video. unmasked. Her, the husband in the video is sitting right next to her, too. And he's like a total he's type like a type C who's like, no, please. What if we behave? If we behave, if she behaves, can we can we finish this flight? <laughs> um, speaking of black women with privilege space is exciting it spurs our imaginations and it forces us to ask big questions space it affects us all and it connects us all I don't know exactly what she said I could my eyes could only see the boredom if not the waterboarding that was happening behind her with the U.S. troops that had to stand there and pretend to care. There's plenty of space in space. <laughs> Maybe she could explore the space. I don't know. I would love to launch her into space, James, and just... <laughs> what is this woman talking about? I have no idea what she's talking about. You know, she opened her mouth, and my ears immediately just uh, stopped hearing. I don't even like saying her first name because she's named after a Hindu demon. I mean, I, I prefer to... Rem- to remember that name from a famous wrestler from the nineties, Ugandan giant. (laughs) (laughs) But that's neither here nor there. Oh man. Somebody (laughs) once, somebody once called her heels up Harris, but I don't know if that's appropriate for the rundown. Um, We're going to have to go, we're going to talk about Twitter for, for a minute in case folks don't know uh, Elon Musk, the eccentric billionaire from South Africa. Um, the richest African American in the history of the world <laughs> well said. is is making a, te- a tender offer to acquire Twitter. He's trying to buy Twitter. Um, some in the mainstream media are very, very upset about this. Well, because they're afraid that Elon is going to do their job for them. Who were Trump voters and are still Trump supporters. They go, yeah, you guys are going crazy. He's doing, what are you so surprised about? He's doing exactly what he said he's going to do. Well, and I think that the dangerous you know, edges here are that he's trying to undermine the media, trying to make up his own facts. And it could be that while unemployment and uh, the, the economy worsens, he could have undermined the messaging so much that he can actually control right. uh, exactly what people think. And that if, is the that is our you, job. Yeah. If you look at the issues, that is our job. Yeah. That is our job. <laughs> our job, Brother Martin, is to control what people think. That is our job. Exactly. And then you, you bring in science with the CDC and everything else. I think we often forget that uh, scientific facts are largely based on theories and, and scientists create these theories and then they push these theories and then they make us believe these things are facts. And then we have to legislate certain policies based on these facts that are actually based found their, their foundation is theory. Um, and so from the scientists to the politicians, to the media, everything is based on theory. It's based on an agenda. It's based on a narrative uh, of certain people. And so, yeah, we're, we're bombarded from all sides. And so we really need to stick to, I mean, scholastic philosophy, our faith, and, and have the courage courage to, to suffer what we need to suffer to, um, yeah, to suffer what we need to suffer to put up what we need to put up with in order to not just maintain our freedom. because And then that's what we're not living for, simply to be uh, without pressure from, from political persons, but to live our faith. Um, because that's exactly what they're, they're infringing on is, is us living our faith. I mean, to the point of even closing churches, uh, preventing us from receiving sacraments and of course our church going along with it saying oh yeah you can't get married 
um, simply because oh, there's not a priest allowed to be there, even though you can do it yourselves, even according to canon law. Our, our churches are, are are cooperating with them, and so we really need to fight for the for the the right to live according to the truth, the, the right to practice our faith, uh, the true faith, the one true faith. That's the only right there is: the right to practice the true faith, not any of the false religions or whatever else. Um, and so that's really, really what it really boils down to. So these three three sides: I mean, science, politics, and media. Um, these are the three three enemies right now. And so we all need to be prepared and and, and be aware um, of how they're they're actually planning on controlling. Well, they definitely want to control what you're thinking, Ryan. I mean, she said it. She said the quiet part out loud. That's her job to tell you what to think. It, it reminds me of a line. I mean, I, I've said before, Orwellian is probably the most overused adjective since 2020. But overused, or, or it's maybe not overused, but it's been become so ubiquitous. But for all that, it's not misattributed. Uh, there's a line from 1984. Does anyone read 1984? Because every time I talk about it, people are like, really? I, well, I've heard of it, but I've never read it. You've got to read it. Um, I've got an audiobook. Yeah, right. Get a physical copy of it that they can't change or take off your Kindle or whatever. Uh, so here is... Um, actually one of my favorite quotes out of it to the future or to the past to a time when thought is free when men are different from one another and do not live alone to a time when truth exists and what is done cannot be undone from the age of uniformity from the age of solitude from the age of big brother from the age of double think greetings the uh, the whole notion of the the, the meta narrative the 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 control i mean you actually have a ministry of truth in orwell which which controls what can be said you have uh, social engineers who have worked to create newspeak and newspeak is you know is you know completely replaces old speak old speak basically being the language as it was as we always had it in newspeak is you know old speak does not translate into newspeak if you try to speak uh, as we do now, or, or even to try to any thought of Thomistic philosophy, for example, it will not translate into new speak in uh, in Orwell because it's been crafted where everything is double think, everything is double talk, everything means the opposite of what it does, or it is a particularly engineered piece of propaganda that hides a more insidious truth behind it. In uh, the main character in 1984, Winston, uh, Winston Smith, he works where? Uh, he, he works in, in the memory hole, M memory holding stuff that has been declared no longer true, that has essentially been declared fake news or misleading mm -hmm. or whatever to use today's news speak and, uh, you know, put away forever to be forgotten about. And and that's essentially what the since at least since the. Uh, 2020 that media is out in the open in the past it was obvious the propaganda was there you could tell it you could actually listen to npr and just to get a sense of what the enemy's talking about and actually you know get through it and, and, and receive it okay now this is a bit of propaganda now let me break this down to deconstruct it you can't turn on npr it, it, it is so not anymore it's not even like this is what the other side is thinking it is so overtly propaganda that is just just breaks your brain to even think about it because that's the news speak it's not the old speak and it's not translatable to old speak. That's why it, it, it's impossible to listen to it, to gauge it and to think about it and break it down because it, it, it's, it's untranslatable. It's just more absolute propaganda. And that's what the media wants the power to do. Uh, as Marshall McLuhan always put it, the media is the message. He was more talking about how we receive ideas in media and transmission, but, you know, with uh, everything being perfectly digital, you don't even pick up a newspaper to read it and think about it and evaluate it. You're basically being told 
what to believe by the the talking heads on whatever show. Uh, although the the fact that CNN Plus failed so spectacularly is kind of uh, giving me a chuckle. <laughs> Um, and so Elon, I don't trust Elon Musk. Uh, I, I really don't. I'm but glad I, you said that. I, I was going to jump in and say that if you if you didn't get to it, because yeah, I don't think I don't think Elon Musk is this white knight. Yeah. I don't think he's here to save Twitter. I don't think he's a champion of free speech. I don't think free speech is even uh, something that traditional Catholicism is compatible with. Um, but even just speech or fair speech or being able to talk in the open about things that are actually happening and back up your reasoning with facts, you're yeah. not allowed to do that. Now, will Musk allow that? Maybe he'll allow it in a certain subset. But again, you know, I, I don't trust it uh, at all. The only thing I'm getting from Musk is just the enjoyment out of watching all the blue check marks completely melt down. And, and you have people who are economic correspondents freaking out about uh, uh, the talk about a hostile takeover as yeah. if that means that Musk is going to run in with a bunch of MAGA hat wearing guys with guns and take over the Twitter boards. Like, come on, you guys, you know what a hostile takeover is. That's when you, you go over the board to the owners and you, you get, uh, basically them fired or you get you know, the shares and a coalition of people to take their jobs that more or less just uh, that's more or less a hostile takeover. It's, it has nothing to do with weapons. It means you go to the owner. Yeah. It's not a violent, it's not a violent takeover. Right. You, you mentioned CNN plus and I just have to, I have to, my, my, my dad texted me this and I thought it was hilarious. This is from the Babylon B. It lists 18 things that lasted longer than CNN Plus, which I was today. <laughs> I was today years old when I found out that CNN Plus was even a thing. I won't list all 18 <laughs> things, but things that lasted longer than CNN Plus, which lasted 21 days. Number one, a gallon of milk. <laughs> Number two, Kamala Harris's presidential campaign. Number six, transitory inflation. Number seven, Chaz in Seattle. Remember Chaz? Yeah. That lasted longer than 21 days. It did, it did. Uh, number 18, the Babylon Bee's Twitter suspension. Okay, that's pretty funny. Yeah, CNN Plus uh, in the past. Now, since we're talking about um, we're talking about Twitter, and something significant happened on Twitter this, this past week, Libs of TikTok, which is where we get a lot of our groomer videos, and we're going to get to some really gruesome groomer videos. We're going to ask you to shield your children if you haven't already. Um, but we get a lot of our, our videos from Libs of TikTok. Libs of TikTok has always been an anonymous account. We know it's a woman because she's done voice-only interviews on Fox News. This woman, though, Taylor Lorenz, is a uh, reporter with the Washington Post. Here she is, like less than a year ago, talking about how hypocritical it would be to dox someone by revealing their name. Yes, actually, I was told that revealing somebody's name is not doxing. I was told that by somebody who claims to be a news correspondent. It turns out revealing somebody's full name in a media is doxing according to the Washington Post. A bunch of people are asking if I'm going to write about the West Elm Caleb story. No, I'm on book leave. I can't keep writing pieces for the New York Times. I literally do have a lot of deadlines. But journalists who are writing about it, please speak to people with experience in online harassment. I'm not going to lie, I've been pretty horrified by a lot of the media coverage of this. A lot of people are just aggregating some of the cruelest commentary online and whipping it all up into a news story with absolutely no comment from Caleb or nuance about the situation. The top story on Google yesterday was literally this House Beautiful story that doxes Caleb, puts his full name in the story, zero comment from this man. After this whole article gleefully encourages this online harassment and doxing campaign, they literally use him to sell West Elm furniture through affiliate links. Once again, commercializing a harassment and doxing campaign. 
Okay, so listing where somebody lives, James, and what their name is, and then asking for premium subscribers is apparently immoral, according to the woman who then later went on and released the full name of the woman who is behind Libs of TikTok. Now, I was told that releasing somebody's name isn't doxing. In fact, I was told that in some semi-official-looking document. I guess maybe that document was more fake news. Uh, anytime you engage in any sort of um, online uh, shenanigans, you know, such as uh, T- Taylor Lorenza is, you know, you tend to find yourself up against a wall uh, and you tend to make up the narrative, you know, whatever narrative, you know, there is to suit you. And that's what she's done. She's done here. Right. She found somebody who was bucking against the narrative uh, and has been doing it quite well, you know, uh, amassed a huge number of followers and to this person's credit uh, who uh, appeared in Tucker Carlson uh, sort of uh, shed just a little bit of uh, why she does what she does. And then you have uh, Taylor Lorenz on one end uh, in, in happier days, you know, uh, explaining the reality of what doxing actually is only right now to get fed up with uh, someone who has remained relatively anonymous uh, presenting a case for why she is being anonymous because people like, Taylor Lorenz can come out of the shadows uh, and speak out of her mouth, double speak, right? We just talked mm-hmm. about this whole idea of uh, reality as uh, turned on his head in 1984. This is exactly what we're, we're doing here. She's trying to erase somebody, and the way she does it is to basically go back on her word without saying she's going back on her word and just using all the emotions out there to tell you why she had to dox. Uh, I mean, what you do, visit this person's house, you don't have any experience with that, right? You know, going to mm-hmm. someone's relative's house, you know, putting cameras in front of them and, and stalking them and things like that. You know, and uh, this is insanity that that uh, the liberals like to live in and would like to have you crawl into their, uh, uh, their uh, demonic layer. Well, this you know? is, uh, Brother Martin, I mean, this is like what uh, reporters think that they're above the law. Reporters think that, uh, or even people who... Uh, masquerade as reporters people who claim to be reporters or uh think that they have a right to information of any kind at any point in time from anybody and if you if you're like who are you i don't owe you an answer then they become vindictive and that's what happens with this woman especially happens with women supporters uh reporters i have seen this up close and personally it seems to me like these women reporters especially ones who are fake news journalists, they're especially vindictive. I mean, this woman went out of her way to dox a mother, a mother in Brooklyn, New York, uh, who is a uh, devout uh, religious person. She's a Jew. Um, and, and she went ahead and released her name. Now, uh, what exactly does she intend by releasing her name and where she lives? Why would any sane human being do that? That's exactly right, is that what makes doxing very bad, makes it immoral, is the direct intention to intimidate the person being doxed with harm. And it's not necessarily a direct harm saying the reporter is going to do the harm, the the actual canceling of your job or whatever else. But it's to get your name out there, to get it associated with certain things. So that your employer, who's afraid of backlash from from the public, mm-hmm. will then fire you because they're they as as a preemptive of protection, self protection against a potential backlash based on their association with you. And so 
the the malintent of doxing someone is in, in intentionally to get them fired is, is to hurt them and and this is obviously an, uh, a sin against charity a sin against justice um, precisely because especially in the world that we live in today the conservatives are the ones that are being pounded the people that are standing up for the, for the truth the same truths that jesus christ himself uh, told us to, to st- stand fast in um, we're the ones being canceled and so when you when you put up someone's uh, name out there so that they can receive this sort of harm or at least potentially receive this sort of harm, uh, it, it's it's a sin against charity. So doxing in and of itself is a sin against charity. Yeah. There are some news organizations that try to intimidate people with doxing uh, to, to cancel people that are speaking the truth, either because uh, they become competition with them uh, because they want to be the sole proclaimers of truth or supposedly because, of, of course, as we heard earlier in the show, uh, that the media want it's their job to, to control what we think. Mm-hmm. Or, or simply because it's 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 mere um, being vindictive of of just wanting to hurt somebody else um, because either they're they're jealous of of some character trait or or talent that the other person has or or that they 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 become competitive with them. Yeah, be, be, beware of women scorn, Ryan. You see, uh, cancel culture it is a tool of the left. But you see it employed also on, on all spectrums, uh, from the right to the left, Catholic, non-Catholic. You see these vindictive, especially women reporters or fake news reporters who are engaging in this stuff. And uh, and they do it, Ryan, like uh, with impunity and nothing ever happens to them. No, as long as you're on the side that seems to have the prevailing uh you know and right now all corporations all media uh it's the wokeism it is the uh all the movements of the left the communist left that right now run all of, of industry everyone's terrified that uh, if you don't go along with them we'll get this twitter mob and go after you and in mm-hmm. in this you know in the doxing's part of that campaign and doxing is never this neutral thing oh yeah he happens to live here yeah it's public information uh to a point sometimes it's not necessarily you know connected person a to person b but especially that person wishes to remain anonymous and then you say oh this is actually miss mrs so-and-so who lives on such and such street in uh, brooklyn new york especially and then you say oh you know i'm not suggesting vigilanteism but uh Go get them. I mean, uh, yeah, here's where they live. It's basically what you're doing, especially with it with a politically charged atmosphere. And you say, you know, I don't know why her posting videos of what the left puts out there is such an offense to them. Uh, you'd think they'd be proud of it. But, uh, you know, they're, they're mad. How dare you call attention to what we are putting out there and doing? So we're going to punish you by telling every crackpot out there and there's plenty of them on the left there's they're there on the right but they're also there on the left in, in great abundance mm-hmm. i mean you look at that guy who went after Rand paul actually assaulted him and the left was cheering the guy on this guy just assaulted Rand paul at, at says one of his neighbors uh who was who was a liberal assaulted Rand paul put him in the hospital and the left was cheering you had another uh if i remember right at a baseball game somebody tried to attack or assault or shoot a senator i have to dig that story up um, and, and you've got and yeah. you're getting multiply uh, yeah. all around yeah. um you've got and you, you, know, you do have people on the right that do these things too but on the left it's cheered and supported and that's it so when you go into journalism you know, here's the problem with journalists too so journalists especially as they go through film schools and journalism schools and all these things which are which lean very strongly to the left i might add um, 
they are, you know, drunk high on this power from Watergate. Oh, look at Watergate when we journalists toppled this horrible vindictive presidency. And you look at what Nixon did compared to even what uh, Bush, the first uh, first or second, what baby Bush did. I mean, that's like kid gloves. <laughs> he broke into a hotel um, compared to uh, babies and funneling and unknowingly promoting a whole campaign of fake news with the daughter of the Kuwaiti ambassador pretending she is a nurse uh, who never witnessed babies being thrown out of incubators. It was a lie. It was a fake story to justify going into war to protect, uh, I don't know, the elite's interest in terms of oil futures. And so uh, at the expense of the civilians' lives and American soldiers' lives and all, all these other things, right? They, they pushed those lies. I mean, they they did these horrible things and the media is drunk on power from the fact yeah. that they exposed a break in at a hotel for some political dirty tricks. And, but that's what they get taught. And then that, see, this is the power of journalism and we need to do this for this reason. And it is not a far jump from that to, you know, we have the right idea. And you just look back to 2020 and you look back during the lockdowns and during the, uh, the, I'm going to get us canceled. I won't say it. Um, <laughs> between the celebrities and the media pushing them out there and covering them, the media sniffing at all these people who can't pay their bills because they can't go to work or they can't run their businesses. And the media is practically sneering at them. Oh, we're essential to be on here 24-7 to talk about Madonna in a bathtub with roses or some other nonsense like that. Or uh, Gal Gadot getting a, the, all these other rich, pampered, uh, narcissistic celebrities to start singing Imagine. Um, and things of this sort. So yeah, there is a narcissism in, in journalism and elitism. And it doesn't matter whether you look at Fox News and Fox News is just as bad as CNN. They're just lean center right instead of, well, UCNN used to be center left. Now they're more hard. Right. Kind. But Fox <laughs> not, yeah. They just went center right. Same news, <laughs> same stuff. It just with a slight slant and a more conservative opinion desk. That's it. And I'm sorry, if you look at like O'Reilly or Hannity or any of these people, they were pretty damn liberal on a number of things. And yet, yet oh, wait, that's a conservative network. And if people still believe that after 2020, when Fox News led the charge basically to, uh, for the election coverage, uh, calling states with 2% of their voting in and things like, like Virginia and whatnot. Um, I'm sorry. I got, I've got a bridge to sell you somewhere. Yeah. It's not conservative. Well, and, no, uh, I mean, and, and, and the truth is, is the people, the types of people who are attracted to that particular industry tend to be narcissists. They tend to be atheists. They tend to be, uh, women who are single, who have the, the curse of Eve, who are feminazis. And uh, they have a need to control their exteriors. They have a need to control men, especially. And they have a need to control people around them because they have hollow, vapid, absolutely empty uh, personal lives. And, and, right. and, and, lives. And, you, and you know what's fascinating? I'm going to jump in here. What's really fascinating to me, especially, and uh, uh, Ryan touched on it. You know, First of all, you have a, a woman, right? We're told in 2020, or rather 2016 going upwards you know, into 2022, that, you know, uh, what women have to say matters. But yet, you know, we're back down to the narrative of if your narrative is against the cultural trend of being liberal, then you as a woman don't matter. And so if you are a woman, right, who is arguing about uh, against a man who wants to be a woman, then you too will be canceled. If you are a woman who's speaking out uh, against uh, the, the trend in liberal America today, of what's going on with online personalities 
basically, uh, uh, you know, acting as fronts for pedophilia and other crimes against children. If you're speaking out against it, then you too will become a target. Doesn't matter if you're a woman or not, right? And so you have this uh, Taylor Lorenz going after a woman, going after a woman who is merely, like you said, Ryan, just shedding a light on things that have already been submitted online, you know? So basically, she's just what, what you know, aggregate stuff, just getting the information that's out there and saying, hey, guys, this is what was blowing up on, on TikTok. What do you think about it? And that's it. Yeah. Yeah, just, just, just showing them for what they are. Uh, Although I don't think they have the curse of Eve. They have the curse of Lilith. (laughs) (laughs) Fair point. Uh, If you still have any trust for journalists, either secular or religious, conservative or liberal, hopefully this short video cures you of any remaining trust you would have for anyone who claims to be a journalist. I'm Fox San Antonio's Jessica Headley. And I'm Ryan Wolf. Our, our greatest, greatest responsibility, responsibility is to, to serve, serve our, our Treasure Valley communities. The El Paso Las Cruces communities. Eastern Iowa communities. Mid-Michigan communities. We are extremely proud of the quality, balanced journalism that CBS 4 News produces. But we, we are concerned about trouble trying to be responsible. One-sided news stories plaguing our country. Plaguing our country. The sharing of biased and false news has become all too common on social media. More alarming, some media outlets publish the same fake stories without checking facts first. The sharing of biased and false, false news has, has become, become all too common, common on, on social, social media. media. More alarming, Unfortunately, some members of the media use their platforms to push their own personal bias and agenda to control exactly what people think. And this is extremely dangerous to our democracy. 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 I can't watch this it anymore. It's dangerous. Just overturn it. <laughs> I'm tired of democracy. <laughs> Any, anybody who is a current member of the media or who pretends to be one of these people who builds a studio so that they can emulate these people and receive their talking points and repeat them to you are suffering from the same delusion. All right, quick break. On the other side, we're going to talk about fake Catholic Super Chief Joe Biden and, of course, the groomers. The second big reason for inflation is Vladimir Putin. Not a joke. Not a joke. The second big reason for inflation 
is Vladimir Putin. Not a joke. Vladimir Putin is causing inflation, Ryan. It's his fault why toilet paper and gas and houses, cars, computers, anything you need to buy has gone up. It's Putin's fault in the last six weeks. It's all Putin's fault. It's all, uh, yeah, so, somebody else's fault. It, it's the, the reality is, actually, you could legitimately blame Trump here, but that would also put too much of a highlight on Biden's own policies because Biden's just putting those on steroids and Trump put Obama's policies on steroids in terms of spending and spending outrageously. And so, and then Biden took that and made it even 10 times worse. And at the same time, uh, you know, contracting supplies of various things through really bad decisions, uh, even before we got anywhere near the, the current Ukraine crisis. So inflation is very much uh, the fiscal policy of the United States, because that's how they they weaken us. That's how they remove our purchasing power. That's how they basically uh, set the framework for turning us back into slaves and dispossessing us of everything. If our money has no purchasing power, we have uh, we you know, and we don't own anything. We're at that next stage of uh, the Great Reset stuff. So this is, you know, we haven't seen the effects of what Ukraine is going to bring yet. That's the worst part. We're suffering from your 20, you know, your, your decade of uh, Obama and Trump, and then the beginning of 2020 and the unspecified virus and all that in Biden. That's what mm-hmm. we're seeing the inflation from right now. And now, Biden... Worse and Biden's also also I don't know if you noticed he's even mixing in issues of scarcity. Scarcity is not inflation. Prices do go up uh, without necessarily inflating. All right, when you when you're dealing with scarcity, uh, and you look at the Ukraine conflict and get, uh, I'm just going to say it again. I think I've said it before. Buy your flour, buy your wheat, get food grade buckets to store it in. Get wheat berries, which will last. Uh, for quite a long time and get a, a mill or something to grind it down into flour, because this is what's going to happen. 30% of all the world's uh, wheat supply comes from Ukraine and Russia combined. Ukraine is not planting any wheat this year and Russia, is, all their wheat is sanctioned. So you can't buy it over here. So now that, you know, to take, think, think pie and take 30% of it out. And now every same number of people that depended on hundred percent of it now depend on 70% of it. That's going to bring prices up as well as create other scarcity issues when you have crop failures and stuff. So that has not hit here yet. That's going to be the tail end of this year and next year when you go to the store to get flour and there is not any flour and you go to, you know, to get bread. And that bread is now fifteen dollars a loaf. And, uh, you know, and then you could say maybe, OK, this is the Ukraine issue. But right now it's not Ukraine. We're not there yet. That's the worst part. Everything we're seeing right now is Biden, Trump, Obama. The man trying to convince us that it is Vladimir Putin's fault for the price of goods going up is also the same man who claims to be the poorest man in Congress. I was listed. I was, had the great pleasure of being listed as the poorest man in Congress for 36 years. I still had making a hell of a lot more money than anybody else because I was getting a senator's salary. No kidding. I didn't think you should make money while you're in office. But anyway. The point of it is this, an awful lot of people are hurting. It makes- That's a good point, Mr. President. Uh, you were the poorest man in Congress, and you were the least successful in the private sector. It's a good thing you were a senator for uh, 3,900 years. Uh, this same man who's trying to convince us that Vladimir Putin, James, is in charge of the world, is being led around by an Easter bunny.
And he shakes hands, apparently, with nobody. America. God bless you all. Where the heck am I supposed to go? Somebody tell me what to do. Where's my Easter bunny? He was looking for Harvey. (laughs) (laughs) What what Secret Service agent got the job to be the Easter bunny this year? (laughs) Was Harvey? Harvey was invisible on that last speech. And he was invisible to Biden, too. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny. He's he's taunting himself as the uh, poorest senator. I mean, he he didn't want to list how much the big big guy was getting from this uh, whole... uh, (laughs) Hunter Biden scheme that uh, Hunter was cooking up in uh, Ukraine. I mean, do we just forget about that? Yes. I mean, I, yeah. <laughs> We're supposed guess, to forget about that. I guess that. we just kind of forget about Why it. would you bring that up, James? I, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't know my We're manners. not supposed to talk about Hunter Biden and Ukraine. Bad, bad matters. Be, because we, speaking of Ukraine, the yeah, usurper in chief, so. fake Catholic President Joe Biden, he wants to send him a few more billion dollars. Last week, I signed an $800 million package of security assistance to Ukraine. It included new capabilities like artillery systems and armored personnel carriers, equipment that is responsive to Ukraine's needs and tailored to support the intensified fighting in the Donbass region, which is a different war than in other places because both topographically it's different. It's flat, it's, it's not in the mountains, and it requires different kinds of weapons to be uh, more effective. Today, I'm announcing another $800 million to further augment Ukraine's ability to fight in the east, in the Donbass region. This package includes heavy artillery weapons, dozens of howitzers, and 144,000 rounds of ammunition to go with those howitzers. It also includes more tactical drones. In the past two months, we've moved weapons and equipment to Ukraine at record speed. We've sent thousands of anti-armor and anti-missile helicopters, drones, grenade launchers, machine guns, rifles, radar systems. More than 50 million rounds of ammunition had already been sent. The United States alone has provided 10 anti-armor systems for every one Russian tank that's in Ukraine, a 10 to 1 ratio. We're sharing and will continue to share significant timely intelligence with Ukraine to help defend them against Russian aggression. And on top of this, these direct contributions from the United States, we're facilitating. We're the outfit facilitating the significant flow of weapons. and. We have plenty of money, Brother Martin, to send to Ukraine. So the national average of gas prices in the United States is above $4 now. So we have all these billions of dollars, billions of dollars that we can send to the Ukraine. Meanwhile, the Americans in the United States are Come on, James. You're my sidekick here, man. What do, what do you, James, you don't care about the hearing impaired? No, I, I'm i literally trying to translate what Brother is saying to, to those who are hearing impaired and just people in general. Who Will you people, help. can you take yourself seriously? Brother, could please continue. We have billions of dollars to send. Yeah. So we just keep printing money, keep printing Monopoly money. And let's give it over to Ukraine. Let's give them 144,000 rounds. Meanwhile, they're still the one. The one thing they're begging for is airplanes. Um, meanwhile, this really means nothing. I mean, you got uh, George Soros's nephew Zelensky, who's in in charge of uh, the Ukraine. You got uh, fake Orthodox uh, President Putin over there. It's like this. This these sides really have no. Uh, there's no foundation for truth here. There's there's no there's no winner here. Both both, both sides. 
Zelensky is related to Soros. You haven't seen the picture side by side? They're like, is that a thing? I, yeah. I, I, I'm, it, yeah. Well, it's it's kind of like the thing with the Prime Minister of Canada and oh, it's uh, oh, it's that le- that level of a thing. I, I'm just saying. Wait, you do know, you actually think that pictures, Trudeau is related to I, Castro? You know, the pictures don't lie. That's all I have to say. Okay. And and kind uh, of like the the president of the Holy See and this this uh, Jewish rabbi down in Argentina. <laughs> the thing with the ears. Okay. And Obama with the ears. <laughs> we have reached a level of conspiracy on the rundown that I never thought that we would possibly achieve. I left my tinfoil hat in my car. So. <laughs> so just a note to all the good people who watch the rundown and who and who have subscribed. The rundown is on its own YouTube channel. It's totally separate from Restoring the Faith. It's its own thing. And um, and many of you have, have cut over. But if you haven't, you really do need to subscribe. And by the way, just a quick programming note to people who have subscribed to the rundown. You're the only idiots who actually pay for stuff. Oh, there's no audio to this. What you're what you're seeing right now are people just looting, robbing in broad daylight. And taking their name. They're like, "Oh yeah, I I need this meat. Lots and lots of meat. Hurry up, load it in the getaway car." Seems like you've done quite enough. <laughs> I, feel shaming, but man. I feel bamboozled because I actually pay for my groceries and I think I'm going to try this. It's too much ask for people to actually buy things. That's quite racist of you, Mike. I know. I'm sorry. I'm you need not- to check your privilege. Yes. I know. Check your. You know. Speaking of check your privilege, how about this old lady in a in a uh, one of these automated carts that can't walk? She needs to check her privilege, and her privilege does get checked. Let me reach for this uh, Lipton tea box here. Look at this. This is happening in broad daylight. Broad day. Meanwhile, the po- the people who are supposed to keep us safe, Ryan, the police officers are too busy shooting each other. Please shoot an undercover officer accidentally. Thankfully, all the uh, curse words are bleeped out on this one. Hands up! Hands up! Passenger, get your hands up! Put your hands up! Put your hands where I can see them! Put your hands where I can see them! Good! Good! stop that we need to hear we, can we flush our minds real quick can we see something beautiful here are the bishop sanborn sisters down in florida
All right, man. You just got you want you need to see something beautiful after something like that, Ryan. Ryan, the feds are everywhere. They're 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 embedded in everywhere, and they're to the point where they're shooting each other on accident. Like, what the hell's mm-hmm. going on here? Meanwhile, crime, broad daylight, especially on the left coast. Well, something like that with the with the cops. If uh, normally they're supposed to have a briefing, and any undercover assets are supposed to be known if they don't get a chance to get that kind of briefing they might have gotten out in the field and somebody might not have because somebody in dispatch is supposed to say hey by the way you guys are going to stop we have an agent here and so somebody missed something and they didn't know so they just see a gun and they start shooting and you get crazy things like that so it uh but with that other video you can't attack the black lady you've got to lift up black voices so i'm going to do something myself i'm going to check my privilege (laughs) (laughs) i'm checking it there i've checked my privilege wow now i can talk about it (laughs) ryan you are woke now you're officially woke woke. um, my black brother (laughs) but i won't put on blackface on for those listening on the podcast ryan pulled out his literally literally his white privilege card and he threw it across the room flung it it is a sight. <laughs> uh, there was a. What, do you feel? Was that lethargic for you? Do you feel better? Was that uh, some kind of? Oh, oh the weight of oppression people. of oppressing so many people. It's just. It's just lifted off me. What can I say? Oh man, <laughs> we've got to get to the groomer videos. We always do the groomer videos, but before we do that, I still want to play something that's also not for children. It's. It's a two-minute video with a woman who is arguing with an abortionist. And the pro-lifer manages in two minutes to totally dismantle this this poor young lady who's not only dressed immodestly, but her arguments are are, uh, just garbage. And they become dismantled and she becomes embarrassed. And what do you think she does once she uh, is taken down? Well, let's see. I just want to I just want to read you this poster that I have. Um, because I hear a lot of pro-lifers um, say that life begins at conception. Mm-hmm. So my poster reads, Life begins when you understand living women matter more than potential babies. What is it? What do you mean? If it's a potential baby, what is inside of a woman? It's a fetus. Is it living? No. no. How can it grow if it's not living? Actually, actually, that's like saying if an acorn is a tree. When does the fetus become living? Um, that's actually a good question, but that line... Yeah, of course, because you don't know it, because it's oh, living. Oh. It's living. You're fundamentally denying science to validate you, your you, you actively, you actively deny science, ma'am. How am I denying... What science did I deny, Darby? Um... Okay, so let's look at some posters over here. But you don't have to be here. I need you to tell me what science, you just made an accusation that I denied science. What science did I deny? That it's a child inside of you. It is a clump of cells when you I'm have a clump of cells. What makes me different? That you were born? You were born. So you, you don't, what you're arguing is that uh, anything that is not born is not valuable of life. I did not say that. It's subjective. 
So when does it, when does a child or fetus or clump of cells, whatever you want to call it, when does this clump of cells or fetus become living? When it can sustain well, its own life. But when is that? When is the sustainability? No, when is sustainability? Um, because like what how do you sustain life like my newborns aren't sustainable you can't just have a newborn and they just like live on their own right right they're not sustainable they need help and assistance to survive so is so uh in in the barack hussein obama uh Jesus. paradigm right uh you're on your parents health care until you're age 26. so according to barack uh, hussein obama uh you are not sustainable you can't sustain your life you can't be responsible for yourself until uh until you're 26. so i guess it's okay to abort someone who's 25 years old james uh because the, the, the because they're not yet able to sustain their own lives you know, and uh, judging by the uh, the age of the person we were just watching speak, I, I doubt she's anywhere close to 26. So based on her judgment, she's not viable or sustainable, and we should just take her. We can we can abort her. We can totally, absolutely. Yeah. She's probably living on welfare or, or government subsidies, so right. Mm-hmm. Right. She's, she, her life is probably not sustainable. Well, she, cer- she certainly looks like the kind of person who wants us to cancel her student debt. <laughs> right. Uh, right. Because she, de- she definitely, well... Listen, if she has any student debt, she should go back to whatever university she was at and ask for a refund. <laughs> I don't think they refund on women's studies, do they? <laughs> She's a paying customer and she left without any service whatsoever. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So that's the, that's the absolute state of the pro-death movement. Just an update on that. We don't talk pro-life stuff on here very often. I know, James, you were involved in the, in the movement, though, at one point. I mean, what, what's, your, what's your take on the state of the pro-life movement right now you know um that's a very good question um i i the way the way things have been going over the last uh i guess 10 years uh people are getting more and more uh tired of the old narrative of you know i would say pro what i consider pro-lifeism you know mm-hmm. the idea that uh anybody who just says you know pro-life 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 gets a ticket into the, uh, into, into what, you know, whatever office, whether House of Representatives or, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, the uh, Senate or even in, uh, to the White House, you know. So we've been pushed for too long. And, you know, we've had March for, uh, for Life going on for 50, 50 years plus uh, 1973, it was 1974, uh, almost 50 years. You know, people are tired of not seeing any results. So uh, I, I guess the people who are truly uh, on board with the idea of moving past that singular, uh, you know, idea of what it means to be pro-life, that pro-lifeism, they're starting to really sort of craft a message that is real that people can actually latch onto, and that's what Kristen Hawkins was doing right there. Mm. You know, so we're not, right now it's like we're not we're not we're tired of being you know apologetic or trying to corral people, softening the message of what it means to be pro-life. Um, we, we, we've seen over the years, you know, uh, people come into office and just kind of do, do very, very opposite. I mean, even Trump did uh, things like that. You know, he, people, people are just tired of that. So I guess 2022 uh, or rather 2020 going into 2022, people are starting to tighten, tighten that message of what it means to be uh, a, a truly pro-life. Uh, and this goes into aspects of uh, 
you know, end of life care, especially as we're seeing with, uh, you know, uh, the vaccine situation and uh, euthanasia right now. Um, but um, I don't have I don't have hope in a sort of general message coming from the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. Yeah, there's not a unified message or a, a unified a group that is giving a, a message. It's it's a grassroots movement into uh, that's now happy with facing reality, no matter how small the numbers are. You know, because we 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 want people who are truly uh, energetic to sort of push that narrative of comfort. You know, yeah. well, you know, he's pro-life. We'll give him a, a buy on uh, the marriage stuff, for instance. You know, so the marriage question is what was kind of stifling the growth of the pro-life movement. So now people have moved past that, I think. Movement is getting smaller. It's getting tighter. So, we'll, we'll, I mean, we'll see what happens in the next few years. I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, more and more people will, will wake up and realize that the message of what it means to be truly, truly pro-life has to be genuinely tightened so that uh you know, the people who are hanging on on it for political gain are just sort of, you know, pushed off to the side. Brother Martin, I, I, I'm clinging to sort of how James discussed pro-lifeism, mm-hmm. almost as if it's its own right, its own, maybe not religion, but certainly its own cult, as in cultus. Um, that in the Novus Ordo Church is really the singular distinguishing factor between a quote-unquote good little O orthodox bishop and a bad one. If they're pro-life, then they're Catholic. If they're not sufficiently pro-life, then they're not Catholic. This is, this is the singular variable by which in the new church, in the new rite, in the new religion, uh, a cleric is judged to be sufficiently a member of the Vatican II sect or not um is that a fair way this is just how i have personally subjectively experienced new church but pro-life ism it's an ism right and i'd say it has to do with two things sex and money in the sense that you see the conservative novus ordo bishops that are mostly pro-life um the pro-life movement in and of itself, I mean, you interview a lot of people at the pro-life marches, all that kind of stuff. They're, they're very soft and lenient towards uh, the pride flag, homosexual marriage, contraception, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so while they're adamantly pro-life in the sense of anti-abortion, um, they're also very soft on a lot of, a lot of sexual ethics uh, and what the church teaches on, this, on the sexual morality. Um, but also the pro-life movement, um, it, it preaches a new a new form of feminism, in the sense that it one of the one of the abortionist arguments is like, oh well, if I have this baby, then I won't be able to get a job and live my career. Mm-hmm. Whereas the the, the pro life femi- new new feminism, the pro lifeism, uh, will say, oh no, you can live your dream job, you have your dream c- career, and you can have your baby at the same time. Well, what does this do? Well, when the bishops go and fundraise money in their dioceses, they can go to the richest counties in their dioceses, the richest parishes in their dioceses, and ask for a lot of money. Why is that? Because most likely in those in those very rich parishes, uh, there's two incomes, both from the husband and and, and from the wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, e- even the conservative bishops who are, who are very pro-life are very soft on on what a what woman's role is in the home and, and in the family. Why? Because well, they benefit if the wife also works because then they have more money to donate to the diocese. Ryan, I want to bring you into this discussion, but I, I have to play this video based off of what Brother Martin just said. 
if we if we focus on pro-life ism to the exclusion of the overall culture wars and especially to the principle of identity that a man is a man and a woman is a woman this is what we get here is madison cawthorn's definition of a woman x chromosomes no tallywhacker and this gives me a chance to talk about biological essentialism. <laughs> um, first of all, it's not true. People have all kinds of chromosomes and all kinds of bodies. Women who've had hysterectomies, people born with certain conditions. But that's almost immaterial. Number two, it is a system of oppression. Gender is a hierarchy and a system of oppression. And the easier it is to define gender, the easier it is to keep the oppression going. It's dangerous. All right, I'm getting the privilege card back. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go back to impressing. Okay, hold it up for the for the everyone is watching uh, live. Here. <laughs> uh, Ryan is waving again that white privilege card which he discarded earlier. How do you feel about that, James? I'm, I'm quite comfortable with it. Actually. Are you? Are you? <laughs> go back in my wallet. Let's go back in the wallet. I'm going back uh, to impressing. Um, <laughs> so it's. Um, it's actually funny. What was the what was the thing we heard uh, about uh, every time a conservative Supreme Court justice is nominated? No ovaries, no opinion. Uh, but men can have babies now too, so I guess we can have opinions on this, can't we? Oh, um, but <laughs> that would probably be a good translation transition to the next segment. But uh, to kind of piggyback off those other things, there, I was involved with the pro life movement really heavily first in college. And then, um, you know, prayed outside abortion mills we had. But I I stopped trying to even attempt to debate this rationally when my first child was born, uh, because I I can't be dispassionate with the views of the other side. I can only hold the views of the other side in contempt. And because of that, I can't actually dialogue with I'm pretty good at dialoguing with all kinds of people, all kinds of weird positions on things and uh, people who are 100 percent polar opposite from where I am and, and everything. I can, you know, sit there and listen, entertain, and we could have a, you know, a good time talking and, and, and meeting of the minds. I can't do that on abortion. It's simple. Uh, I have uh, witnessed eight children born. I was there at each one of their births, and and and, and to add to that, one miscarriage that uh, at four months. So it it, uh, it and seeing that you know their their little bodies and seeing how they are coming out. At, at, at uh, at birth and then that one at four months um that that died unfortunately you see that and you can't unsee it you see that at least not if you're a human being you can't see that and say yeah if it was just a few months earlier it'd be perfectly fine for some crackpot uh mislabeled a doctor to come in and uh, start cutting them up with a scalpel and do a DNC and uh, cut them limb to limbs. And, oh, why cut the vocal cord? That way we don't accidentally hear a scream going. Uh, what? What? Um, well, we, we flooded it with saline so it would burn its skin and it would die. And, and of course, some kids have survived that. And our adults now, there's several uh, people who have survived that method of abortion that, that go out and, and speak now. But it's, it's so absolutely horrific at every level that I, I can't debate it rationally with the other side so kudos to was that a, who was the lady in the video you showed earlier Kristen hawkins yeah um 
you know, kudos to, to her because, uh, you know, I, I can't sit there and, and dispassionately bring in, you know, start questioning and leading them into a, a difficult position. I'm already mad and my temper's off. And so that's why I stay away from abortion debates. But there are certain things in the pro-life movement. Uh, we mentioned giving up the marriage issue before they did that. They gave up the contraception issue. You know, Catholics are still talking about it. There's still an important thing. But in terms of the the pan, you know, pro-life movement, well, yeah, if you think of contraception is okay, you can be in the movement too. Yeah, we'll support bills that, you know, we're, we don't want to actually make contraception illegal because that's going too far. Now, that's the root of abortion is, is contraception. Why? Because you have entered the mentality that we don't want a child to come out. We are going to frustrate God's plan for marriage and we are going to uh, have it our own way. Because we're, we're just not willing to deal with that. So you've already decided on the abortion when you employ X, Y, and Z prophylactic method. So now what happens is then it didn't work for whatever reason. Um, oh, no. Well, we have to get rid of that, right? Because you've already said it. And guess what? Planned Parenthood versus Casey, that 1991 or 19, I get the year wrong, 91, 92 decision uh, Sandra Day O'Connor, she writes in the majority opinion that um, abortion is necessary because couples using contraception have depended on it if their contraception should fail. Yeah, and so that's that's where it's at. And of course, if you dare, and one thing, I was never a huge fan of Rick Santorum for a number of reasons, but I give him major credit for having the cojones to actually address that issue in public, even if not as strong as I might have wanted him to. Just trying to be a politician on the public stage and even bring it up. Uh, nobody's done this since Griswold versus Connecticut. And that was actually pretty impressive back in, uh, what was that, the 2008 was, or 2012? 2012, I think, or maybe yeah. it was 08. I think, oh, no, it could have been both, uh, but it was one of those where he made the stand. He was getting pilloried by the media because I don't know about yeah. anyone else. Mm -hmm. But if you go into a room of secular people, if you go into in a group of people that are, uh, whether it's very liberal Catholics or uh, various stripes of Protestant, there are some Protestants that reject contraception, but beside that, uh, or just secular, non-religious people, and you suggest there's something wrong with birth control so-called uh, as chesterton said those who use it neither believe in birth nor control but you're going to get pilloried you're you're some dark age but you what do you live in saudi arabia do you think women can drive too those are the kind of responses you're going to get you're already a crazy fundamentalist whack job because you dare suggest that maybe we shouldn't have contraception so that's one place that the pro-life movement kind of you know dropped the ball but there's one more thing which is fuzzy theological thinking and so I'm just going to do this as the last point. I'm going to share the screen. Oh, I know what you're going to share. Yep. And you know who it is. Well, um, I, all right. <laughs> We're going to go there. Right. Can you see it? Is it up? Yeah, it's there. Okay. So Bishop Kundurla of Tulsa, Oklahoma. If a person cannot recognize the obvious presence of God in a living baby in the womb of its mother, then how would they ever discover the presence of God in the mystery of the Eucharist? Now, don't want to pillory the guy too much because I get I, I see where he's going and what he's trying to get at. Um, 
but there's a major theological problem with what he's saying is that in a theological sense, truly God is actually not living in the baby in the womb of its mother. Sad as that is to say, that doesn't mean that baby is any less precious or beautiful or innocent in terms of, uh, you know, it's an an unbaptized baby, but it's an unbaptized baby. The presence of God by, we know this is an article of faith. This is not like some speculation of some theologian somewhere. This is an article of faith. The unbaptized infant does not have the presence of God living in it. That's why we go to baptism. Otherwise, what's the point of baptism? And this is a, another problem too with various people on the uh, in, in the pro life movement is that there's this fuzzy theological thinking on a lot of issues, including um, you know limbo. Uh, yeah. We're gonna make limbo great again. Whole debate to get into, <laughs> and I'll, I'll save that for later. But yeah, uh, yeah, maybe maybe do. But I do want to. I can respond to two things you said though. First of yes. all, uh, Bishop Condorla, uh lots of people pick on the bishops all the time and there's plenty of reasons to pick on them and and that may be may seem a little nitpicky to say hey your your theology is off he's the guy who suppressed father ripiger so screw <laughs> it you know what i mean like I, i'm sorry bishop condorla and yeah i know you personally your excellency you know me quite well in fact you administered sacraments to me at one point but um what the hell's going on with you secondly uh Rick Santorum, I agree with you. 2012 was the year that he really laid the path for 2016. Uh, Santorum was the one with the cojones to come out and not only talk about contraception, but he laid out the populist vision uh, and and blazed that trail. You know, sort of like how uh, Barry Goldwater provided the path for Ronald Reagan. So I, I do think I do think that Rick Santorum is somebody who did enable a successful 2016 Trump. Uh, campaign to the extent that any of these things can be taken for face value in terms of one vote, one count. <laughs> but uh, maybe that's a different thing. We're still talking about groomers and 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 your children shouldn't be in the room. But what happens when you seed the debate on life? What happens when you seed the debate on culture is that you you entirely lose the plot. So some people are still trying to fight for little babies. Meanwhile. You have this happening in your schools. Oddly queer in my classroom. So the other day I had a kid come into school um, and they were carrying like a tray of cupcakes and they were arranged so that like the top of the cupcakes were frosted as blue, pink, and white so that they were arranged in the trans flag. Um, and this kid was so proud carrying them and they were just elated. Um, and I think they brought that in as a way to come out and they had saved one cupcake just for me at the end of the day. I'm a specialist teacher, um, so I didn't see them that day. But they came to my classroom later that day, knocked on my door, and were like, hey, we saved this for you. And they gave me the very last cupcake. It's those things where you know that your presence makes a difference and assures a kid that, hey, you're safe and it's okay to be you. That's why it's important. It's okay to be you. Uh, groomer alert number three. Here we go. So I run the Pride Club at my school, um, and I'm having kind of an issue with uh, another teacher in the school building right now. I have a couple kids who have come to me and told me that she has called them out in the middle of class for being gay. She said some pretty terrible things about me um, and the club, uh, telling kids that she thinks it's stupid and a waste of time and, you know, we're pulling kids out of her class, which technically, yes, you know, we are pulling kids out of the class. Um, but it's only for 30 minutes a week and it's on Mondays. 
So the last like 30 minutes of first period, the kids come to me. Um, I understand that, you know, the kids are coming to my class during another class period. Um, I have okayed this with my administration, with my principal, my admin, all that, uh, because the kids told me straight up, they were like, we don't want to have it after school just in case because some of their parents don't know. Um, it would make them feel more comfortable to just, you know, do it at school. That way it's a little more, you know, discreet. So it is completely okay with my admin that I am running this club during school hours. And again, it's only 30 minutes a week. Um, however, this teacher is now crossing a line. Um, she is calling out my kids. She is saying extremely homophobic things. Um, she's bashing the community and the club itself. Um, and I'm James, the teacher is out of line, not the one who's grooming the children and depriving them of their, uh, academic education during the, during school hours. The teacher who's out of line is the one who objects to that. Yeah. I mean, you know, one minute is too long to be alone with the child, especially, especially in such a secular environment. 30 minutes, <laughs> a lot could happen in 30 minutes. And I'm saying this as someone who understands the, uh, you know, the rights of a parent with or to, toward their uh, children. And the fact that a school will give that authority to a teacher to basically uh, stand between the child and the child's parent. Mm-hmm. In such a way, I mean, that's completely uh, flies in the face of what we would allow in any order society. She even says that, that yeah. she, they're trying to conceal it from parents. Right. They want yeah. to do it during school hours because right. they, they don't want the parents to know. Yeah, the, the child. And, and I doubt that a child is saying, you know, oh, you know, my my parents will know. So, you know, don't do this after hours. I'm sure it's something that she threw in there because she thought, you know, uh, as a groomer. Uh, that's that's kind of what she needs to spread as a message to people who are watching uh, is you can lie to have a child in your space for half an hour. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's completely uh, it's completely crazy. And this is a public school system that we are funding with uh, taxpayer money, you know, um, it's madness. Ryan, I think there's only I think there's only one possible justifiable reaction to this groomer. <laughs> that might not even be enough <laughs> right <laughs> maybe not yeah i mean that it's kind of what we talk everything else we've talked about and that other people have talked about uh even people who culturally and socially and morally aren't where we are i've seen podcasts with people who are just absolutely alarmed uh that they're not particularly religious and they're not particularly as conservative as we are and they're looking at this type these types of behaviors and they're like well wait a minute um are kids still watching? No, I won't say it. Uh, but when I was in kindergarten, my teacher didn't tell me about fill in the blank aberrant sexual activity. Mm-hmm. Or when I was in high school, you know, I remember when I was in high school, you know, there were a couple of gay kids and or that, that had publicly, you know, made some point of being gay or whatever. And, you know, th- there wasn't like this attempt to kind of build their parents knew, right? Um, of course, this is the, the 90s. But you know, but even before that, it's like and people use the word gay. Oh, that's gay. That's gay. You're gay. You know, when they're like in fifth, sixth, seventh grade. 
but I didn't know it. I actually didn't know what that really meant because you just didn't, you know, you didn't have that type of thing around. That grooming wasn't going on. Your teachers talked about math. They were pleased and proud when you uh, got things correct and showed that you were learning and paying attention instead of goofing off or hiding with comic books or whatever I was doing that, <laughs> instead of what I was supposed to be doing. Um, it was, uh, they weren't proud if you affirmed their identity in whatever it was they're doing they didn't sit there they might reference their spouse once in a while or something like his kids would ask you know are you married or whatever um but you know they're not sitting there you know working this stuff grooming it and you didn't get pulled out of class for non-essential school activities right and, and that's the other i mean granted i'm not big in school anyway, but you didn't get pulled out. You got pulled out for band because the band was going to go for a special meet on this one day. You didn't get regularly pulled out of someone's class where they're trying to teach them something, whatever it happens to be. I don't know. I don't remember if she identified what the teacher taught, but you got a serious academic subject. Oh, we're going to pull them out. That way we can all get together and talk about fill in the blank of Baron mm -hmm. thing because it always is reduced to I mean, just look at the don't say the, the so-called don't say gay bill, right? What's actually in there talking to children about sexual activity, but only through K through three as if it's suddenly okay at four, right? At grade four, but whatever it's, and, and they're mad about that because these two things go hand in hand. And you talk to people who were in gay culture and got out um, and, you know, kind of, they're trying to lead a good life and they still suffer from it. And they give their confession about it, how they bought into, oh yeah, we was just looking for love, but every turn avenue they turned, it was all about sex every single time. It was all about some aberrant sexual activity. That's, that's what it always reduces itself to. Yeah. And, and, and that's the, I think the big problem with all of this stuff, it's, it's under, oh, we're being affirming and we're helping these people find, you know, uh, you know, a feeling like comfortable and like they belong somewhere so they won't be suicidal. We're saving lives. But in reality, it all just reduces to sex. Yeah. I mean, Brother Martin, uh, I think that this woman was probably a biology teacher. I mean, because that's the, the absolute state of public schools. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I grew up in public schools. I think I had two years where I went to a, a, a Jesuit private school in, in high school, but I'm I know, sorry. right? So even 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 one step down from public school, but <laughs> um, I mean, back in the day, they wouldn't even hide a C from my report card for my parents. And now that you know, now how much I could have gotten away with if, if I had if I C's from my parents. But and now they're they're hiding something this 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 important from their parents. I mean, I remember one time we, we played on the rundown a video of a, of a parent at a, at a PTA conference, and she was livid, livid that. The teachers did not tell her that her children were LGBTQ, SJCM, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but she was she was living for the wrong reason in the sense that she wanted to support her own child, you know, in the, in the transition or whatever else. But it, it, it does emphasize one thing that parents have rights. They have rights and they love their children more than these these fake teachers, these yeah. pseudo teachers do. Yeah. And but these pseudo teachers that go on TikTok, TikTok pretend that they love the kids more than the, the parents love their own children, which is absolutely false. That's biologically false. They love themselves. Exactly. And they want to create children according image. to their own 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 image, whatever's right. in their mind yeah, and exactly. likeness in this in the sense that they probably are, are are they hate men and so they they want they don't want their son to be a man. And yeah. so they, they convince their son that, that he's transgender and, and, and make him switch. So it, it's, it's that kind of stuff, that, that kind of psychological insanity that's being played in the public schools, which is why public schools is a moral sin. 
Um, if you can, if you can escape it, absolutely do it. Um, but that, that's, it's the absurdity of today and, and, and in the context in which we live. Yeah, I would say that the LGBTQRSSJCM people, as you say, are, um, well, because they can't biologically reproduce and because all human, actually all creatures uh, seek to reproduce, then grooming is their only option of um, of replicating themselves. I'm really frustrated that you left out the IA in there. I'm so- <laughs> you left it out. Why did you leave it out? I, it was a, It was an accident. Okay. It was an oversight. Good. Good. I won't let it happen again. <laughs> we can move past that. <laughs> um, happy Easter to everybody who's watching this. We took Easter week off. Uh, there was some cute confusion during the uh, the celebration of the Holy Triduum because there were some pre-55 celebrations. There were some 1962 celebrations. And then, of course, there was this Maundy Thursday, which I don't know what this is. Look at all that active participation. It's so <laughs> inspiring. Uh, but what's even more inspiring, Ryan, are the words of um, one of the men who wears white in, in, in Rome. He said, quote, if we continue to reduce faith to making God a lovely memory from times past instead of encountering him today as the living God who desires to change us and change our world, a Christianity that seeks the Lord among the ruins of the past and encloses him in the tomb of habit is a Christianity without Easter. Here's a video of, as I say, one of the men in Rome who wears white saying this. Potiamo anche noi la domanda rivolta alle donne. Perché cercate tra i morti colui che è vivo? Non possiamo fare Pasqua se continuiamo a rimanere nella morte, se restiamo prigionieri del passato, se nella vita non abbiamo il coraggio di lasciarci perdonare da Dio, il coraggio di lasciarci perdonare da Dio, che perdona tutto, il coraggio di cambiare, di rompere con le opere del male, di deciderci per Gesù e per il suo amore, se continuiamo a ridurre la fede a un amuleto, facendo di Dio un bel ricordo dei tempi passati, invece incontrarlo oggi come Dio vivo che vuole trasformare noi e il mondo. Un cristianesimo che cerca il Signore tra i relitti del passato e lo rinchiude nel sepolcro dell'abitudine è un cristianesimo senza Pasqua. I can't, I can't do it anymore. I know. So habit, uh, so habit of faith, uh, the, the habits uh, that, that lay the groundwork for, for so many virtues, the habits toward virtue that we find in the Summa, that, that's all in the, the, the Lord's tomb. In it, that's all in closing God up in a tomb. You know, we can't have habits toward uh, virtuous actions. We can't have a love for what came before us. It, it's like a, this, you know, 
it evidences that you know the, this animus delendi for the past mm. and and you see that in all revolutionary movements like you saw during the reformation where they go through destroying artwork um but there's a specific way to do it so it's it's a new iconoclasm with the protestant movement so you see this in england you see this in, in the netherlands like in utrecht for example you have uh you know images sculpted in the wall of a priest saying mass the heads cut off the eucharists chiseled out there but the rest of it remains it's not some mere act of vandalism it's a protest art right this it's iconoclasm isn't just destruction it's a protest art it's basically saying that, you know, for the, in the case of the Dutch Protestants destroying the cathedral in Utrecht, our fathers were idolaters, as they see it, but we are not. And that's why they leave these things remaining. And the same thing in England, you know, with destroying images where they take a bishop's head off or whatever. But they leave the rest of it there as a reminder of what we've stamped on. You know, so it's like a protest art that way. It's like it's, it becomes its own form of art to denigrate and make its political commentary on what came before. So you look at everything they've done since the 1960s. And again, whether you think that it's because of Vatican II or because of a bad implementation, I don't care. But it's undeniable, whichever view anyone wants to take about it, that's what happened. There's this animus yeah. delendi to the past. They, and so they set up in its place um, you know, a new art that itself is an iconoclasm. It's a protest art to what came before. They start trying to eviscerate any evidence of how priests used to say mass, from the vestments to the music to, and that's why you can you make your appeals in vain to number one sixteen of Vatican II's liturgy constitution. The Ocagrian chants the proper music of the liturgy. It doesn't matter. They don't care. Yeah. It's a replacement with. Um, uh, whatever nonsense they sing in the churches today that's so abhorrent even people who aren't traditional particularly traditional just love good music I, i've known people who delayed converting to the church even when they thought it was true because the music was so abhorrent they didn't think they could possibly bring themselves to go listen to it every sunday wait you uh, what you can't you you wouldn't convert with this I, it reminds me of my kids' show, The Wiggles, when they, they put on the Spanish thing, and now it's the Mariachi Wiggles instead of the Australian <laughs> Wiggles, right? Um, it's, yeah, no, I mean, because grace builds on nature. I, I mean, I like to believe if that was the environment I was in, that God would have found some way to get me into the Ark of Salvation. But with that, it repels you. But why do they insist on the 60s, the felt banners, the nuns in pants, the guitars, ubiquitous guitars everywhere? Um, Those with varicose veins, yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, or uh, body positive women that would that think they should be priests in leotards and tights running around with, uh, you know, hula hoop or whatever for their liturgical dance and interpretations and whatever else Catholics are subjected to on a regular basis at the mass, which is supposed to be the fawns at Coleman, the source and the summit of our holy faith. And instead, so instead, it's almost, almost as if they're being presented with a parody of it, ritually speaking. And because that's it, like it's a form of iconoclasm and, the, and against the, real Catholic art and, and devotion and ritual. They've the hollowed it are, out. Catholics so, are not even just subjected to bad art and bad music there and bad takes. They're subjected to an Easter message by Francis Bergoglio, who is literally just taking the opportunity to dunk on trads, brother. I mean, like I, this is Easter and his focus is to dunk on you. Exactly. I grew up going to, to masses just like that, going to the, the Spanish mass. Both my parents are Mexican. We went to the local 
to the to diocesan uh, Mexican National Parish uh, of the diocese growing up. And that, that's what I was subjected to my entire youth. And I, I made the same conclusion is that um, this is just, Catholicism is just Mexican culture. I'm living in the United States. I want to assimilate to the United States cultures. Uh, a lot of Mexicans call me too American for that reason. Um, and I, I just realized it was just something cultural. Faith was just some cult, something cultural, but I wanted the truth. I wanted I wanted the the real uh, solution to to my quest for happiness. And so one of the things I decided to do when I went to college was to leave the faith because that that's the conclusion when when you experience masses just like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the reasons why a lot of normies hate me is because one, I became a professional guitar player. So you would think that I would be very much in favor of pop music, you know, electric guitars at mass, all that kind of stuff. But then I, I found the, the traditional Catholic faith. And as a professional musician, I rejected all of that. And I grew up with this, left the faith, but then I, then I came back. Um, so in one sense, it, it can happen through a miracle, through God's grace. Um, but I think it's, 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 as I would, I would say to, to the parish that I grew up in, this, this sort of Nova Soto parish is responsible for two things, creating atheists and creating traditionalists, because it, doesn't, it definitely doesn't re- reproduce more of the same from, from our generation. Right. Because in the end, ultimately, we're going to lose those those normies. Those normies will either become atheists, or they'll reject everything that's in front of them to realize it's basically fake. It's not real, and then they yeah. go after seeking what is real. Yep. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's the story of most of us here. Yeah, I know that's one hundred percent right. I think uh, there's it's it's almost the principle of the excluded middle. I mean, it, that's not really what's happening here, but you you cannot you cannot continue down this path of what I think is unsustainable anti-religion. You either have to take the off ramp to tradition or the off ramp to, uh, to apostasy. And th- those are the only, because you, you just can't stay on that, that shipwreck for long. Um, and it, and it doesn't help us that the man in white who's supposed to be leading us on Easter Sunday is taking the opportunity to dunk on us. We have to do the unpopular opinions, but first, it's time to grift. Where's the gift? Oh, where's the gift? Oh, here, okay, here we go. Sorry. It's time to grift. <laughs> oh, we lost Ryan. Ryan's full screen and he bailed out. Uh, he's on mute. He's on mute, Ryan. Ryan. Sorry about that. I had to get a book. Um, so am I up first? You're up first. All right. So I had uh, published this. A lot of people seem to miss it. I thought I put it up on the on the slider on the website. But uh, Mystical Theology, Volume 1, a layman's guide. So this is from several different treatises of this very holy Benedictine, Dom Savinien Louis-Mé. I guess that's how you say it, as I'm terrible at Anglophone or Francophone pronunciations. Um, so it's a really great treatise. You can tell not not tiny, but it's fairly easily readable. That's why I added the subtitle to it, A Guide for the Laity. Um, and so it, this first volume comprises four books. You find them in different places. There's a lot of excerpts that the um, the printed, you know, the... Uh, facsimile producers create and stick on Amazon and whatnot that aren't all the complete books. So I'm putting them all together. There's seven books in total. So this is the first four. Um, I, I have to correct myself. A priest actually from England sent me a note. Actually, he met you, Mike. He mentioned you uh, 
oh goodness what was his name i forgot but uh he uh he was he's, he's working in ireland he's an english or scottish priest dang sorry father i got it wrong again but uh, he did correct me that because i think i said when i was putting this book together that it was at buckfast and i mentioned it uh being in ireland and he said no actually that's in england and i was like no oh, there you go i'm sorry <laughs> i didn't look it up so i deserve to have uttered that and uh been corrected for it so without looking it up first but anyway so that's there the first is. thing i've got that is available right now i've got it on the shelves right now really good treatise uh for for just guiding you through the mystical life for helping you understand the purposes and and how to do it it's very inspiring so and then i just got done just got approved but i don't have the copies yet uh this book so you remember the month of St. Joseph. Some people out there have got it. This time we're going to have it where you'll have it in the first few days of May. Uh, if you order it soon, I still have it up as a pre-order because, I, again, I, I just got it approved and placed my order uh, for it to get them in. So they should be here about the very end of April. And I should be able to turn around and get them so you won't miss many days. It'll be easy to catch up. But the month of Mary by, uh, again, Abbe Berlioz. So if you remember the uh, St. Joseph, month of St. Joseph, which is phenomenal. Uh, meditations on Saint, uh, the life of St. Joseph and so many things and excellent examples and spiritual devotions to get you in. And it's the same thing here with the month of Mary. Uh, you have a lot of writing about the history uh, of the, the known life of the Blessed Virgin from tradition, from saints, from so many things. Got the write up here that the gal edited for me, helped uh, put together, which is very good. Um, let me see. But there's uh, there's just a whole bunch of things he continues to address you as the oh, children of Mary all throughout as he's going through the the many devotions and examples. And so highly recommend it. Uh, indispensable. There's um, also a way to assist at mass. You used to find books like this, um, you know, prior to the ubiquitousness of uh, missiles, where the. Um, you'd have a way to, sh to to follow Mass devoutly with little prayers designed for each section of the Mass to pray piously uh, and following along, say, at Low Mass or something like that. So it was one of the ways in which, uh, several different ways you could participate at Low Mass, all of which are cut out once they start introducing the dialogue Masses and you got everyone at different paces <laughs> mispronouncing the Latin and whatnot. Um, and so, it, so that's it's a really good meditation, especially if you're blessed to have Low Mass nearby and, and you don't have... Um, you know, everyone jammering in, uh, you know, you can actually focus that way in quiet prayer, uh, you know, going through the mass and whatnot. So it's just a great book um, for all this, all the different uh, things it offers, all the great meditations in there. It's really deeply moving. It's, it's going to help your spiritual life. And so, uh, and so you get that here. Like I said, I should have it uh, and you should be able to get it by early May. Mediatrixpress.com to find those uh, awesome materials. Brother Martin. Same thing every week. Uh, starting a new traditionalist monastery, Oblates of St. Augustine, uh, oblatesofstaugustine.com. We're getting very close to the completion of some of our projects, um, and I'm very excited to shortly uh, be releasing something out to you, an update, um, to show you what we've been at work on for the last few months. Um, it's very exciting. Uh, slash giving to help us out, help, help create a new traditionalist monastery. James, what are you grifting this week? Are you a grifter? Well, typically I often, uh, I'll give uh, certain book ideas for people to uh, to read, yeah. uh, but I thought I might do something different this week. I thought I might share 
with them a Catholic, Catholic resource, a free free Catholic resource. It's called LibriVox. But here's something quite interesting about this. So LibriVox is a website that uh, basically takes uh, books and provides audio representations. You know, uh, you know, reads uh, books. Various readers sometimes uh, doing uh, various books. But there's a particular reader on uh, you know who basically will read through certain certain books and create uh, a library of Catholic books. Oh. For someone for someone who is an avid uh, reader, but maybe can't read because they're driving all the time. So I use this as a resource when I'm traveling. So the website is um, Catholic Audiobooks. You can easily Google this. Just type Catholic audio, audiobooks.wordpress.org. And basically, uh, you'll find uh, a lot of great books. Uh, authors, such authors as uh, Berlamin, uh, G.K. Chesterton's Father Brown is also listed there. Their father book, so their father Brown books listed there. Uh, I just mentioned uh, Robert Bellamin, and uh, yeah, for instance, a book, uh, "The Art of Dying Well" by Robert Bellamin is listed there. Uh, and uh, these are actually very good readings. Uh, there's also Saint Augustine's uh, books are listed there. Also, um, uh, I actually uh, read a very good rendition, uh, or read a reading rendition of his book. Um, uh, oh shoot, I'm forgetting it, his autobiography. Uh, confessions yeah his confessions very very well done so yeah look up uh look up uh uh catholic audiobooks uh dot what wordpress.org and you'll find a list of really really good books that uh you'll definitely like to listen to if you can't read if you don't have the opportunity to sit down if you're driving all the time if you're moving if you're in the kitchen working if you're in your uh a workshop in your garage working this i found this to be a very very great uh a resource uh for, for myself all right, Catholic audiobooks. .wordpress.com. That's a great grift. And you're grifting something that's free, so it's not even really grifting. I know, I know. It's more I, like I, a recommendation. Yeah. <laughs> it's more like it's, an endorsement. Well, <laughs> well, well, you know, hopefully this person was sent, was send me, uh, you know, uh, some sort of dibs or something. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe. Um, uh, two reminders from me this week. The Rundown has its own YouTube channel. You're watching the rundown right now or you're listening to it on its own separate channel it's important for you to subscribe to that channel and hit the bell to receive notifications when the rundown is live so that you can be in the live chat which is illustrious and so much fun second thing i need to remind you folks that i am still unfortunately for me uh in active litigation with church militants and i would ask you that if you are interested in me being able to defend myself and defeating them once and for all in the court of law, you can go to givesendgo.com slash defeat CMTV. Defeat CMTV stands for Defeat Church Militant TV. I believe that their bogus action against me needs to be dismissed. Uh, okay, let's go to unpopular opinions this week. Ryan, are you up, Ryan? Are you ready? I believe I am. And so, and I have a doozy of one. We'll see. Uh, oh, um, I forgot to, you know what? I'll, I'll wait to pull up last week's poll because I don't have it now. It'll take too much time, it'll, but I'll, I'll dig it up. But um, okay. And I'll show it after everyone's gone. So uh, anyway, so my unpopular opinion. So I alluded to it a little bit earlier when I put up the uh, the bit from Bishop Kundurla. Uh, you know, the, the, this particular the, theological era, and you see it in a lot of places in the pro-life movement. It's like, well, we don't want to 
you know, say that, that, you know, we don't want to say anything bad here. It could hurt people and cause people sadness. So we're going to just say that all the unbaptized infants that are killed through the slaughter and Holocaust of abortion, they just go straight to heaven. They're just saved, <laughs> you know, like the holy innocents. And, mm -hmm. and, and this is a horrible place to tread. It really is. And so, and as I mentioned earlier, you know, I, I've, we've lost some children from miscarriage and where have they gone? Uh, we don't know, but theologically I'm compelled to confess that they didn't go to heaven, uh, which is, which is a horrible sadness to think about that. And it's, um, but it, it's, so St. Robert Bellarmine in his treatise on original sin, which I haven't gotten to yet. I'm still working my way. If, if the world could, my, my world can stop blowing up every time I open up, uh, the book and start trying to translate something. Um, the, he, he takes on, you know, the particular discussion, mostly against the Protestant reformers, but also dealing with certain people in the Catholic tradition, like Cajetan and others who'd suggested that there's a way that the unbaptized can, you know, that, that die, unbaptized children that die can get to heaven. And so St. Robert Bellarmine says that, you know, of course, we, we feel the absolute most uh, tenderly for all, for all the unbaptized infants. But at the same time, we have to be moved by the doctrine and tradition of the church, not by affected arguments. And so when you see like, like the bishop here and other times you've heard, you know, priest saying, oh, yeah, that baby just goes straight to heaven. If abortion brought babies to heaven, Satan would be it would be hated. He would hate it. He'd be terrified. You're bringing all these innocent souls up into heaven to reign with God forever and ever and ever. It would be the worst possible thing for the devil. He does not want that. Okay. So why is he doing cartwheels with abortion? Why is he so pleased that, that this is spread so far and wide? It's because those souls don't go to heaven, at least not by any means we know of. And maybe in the end, God's got some plan. Who knows? But what we do know from revelation and teaching of the church is that they don't go. So what about limbo? You can argue whether limbo is this place of natural happiness or not. There's theological speculations. But, you know, traditionally they held that it was the limbo infantium is essentially the limbus infantium is essentially part of hell, like the limbus of the fathers, the limbus patrum. And, the, you know, and also purgatory is there too. The same fires, but all different purposes in each spot. So it, the uh, the general teaching in the theological tradition is that infants there would suffer what's called the the puanus domni. That means the the pain, the penalty of of loss, but not the puanus, uh, not the pain of suffering. But and it's one of these are these problematic things. And so there's a popular argument that derives from the theologian Cajetan, who was a great reformer and, uh, and a theologian, reformer of the Dominican uh, order around the 16th century, is the one who met with Luther and, uh, you know, argued Luther temporarily out of what he was, you know, his, his positions until Luther went right back to them. Uh, Cajetan says, well, wait a minute, though, that no one can appear before God and say, hey, well, there's I had no chance. There was nothing I could ever do. And Bellarmine responds to that saying, but this is accounted for in, in uh, divine predestination, is that there are some that, you know, God, you know, has not predestined to receive the grace of salvation in one way or the other for his reasons known to him. And a lot of people say that's Calvinism. Actually, it's pretty heavily Thomism when you get down to it um, in, in so many other ways. And, and so in Bellarmine, who was a congruist, is very close to the position that now they call the Thomist position, you know, held likewise the very same thing. And it's very hard to hear because it doesn't feel good. It doesn't make my emotions feel good. It makes the intellect real. Oh, no, this is so horrible. And I'll admit, 
I don't get it either. Right. And, but it's not for me to sit here and just, you know, Oh, well, I, I know better than, than all these councils that, for example, Bellarmine quotes and all these fathers that, that taught to this realm. And there was a study done in 1960 by the, uh, the, the Jesuits in, in Salamanca. They were all actually, this is still when it was, they're pretty good theologians and they review the, uh, the, the whole tradition on that. And they review authors who had tried in the 18th and the 19th and early 20th century to find some way out of all this. And in the end, they, they say all we can, and after refuting a lot of those positions, they say in the end, we must still hand down what St. Augustine said. Do not say, St. Augustine says, do not say that the unbaptized infants go to heaven if you wish to hold the Catholic faith. That's St. Augustine of Hippo. So I ask, you know, so my unpopular opinion is consider all of these things from the great saints, doctors, and theologians, and let's look again at what so many modern teachers have told us, and again, take up, you know, the tradition of the church that at the very least, the unbaptized infants do not go to heaven. Powerful argument against abortion uh, right there, making limbo great again. Brother Martin, you're up next. Are so, you ready? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> After that one, I'm not sure. <laughs> Might have to re- uh, rethink mine. But anyway, uh, in the East, in the, in, in, the Catholic, in the Catholic East, um, traditionally, you can you can never feast and fast on the same day. So, which is why the Great Lent and Great Lent in the East is a little bit longer because they take off both Saturdays and Sundays um, from their fasting to, to feast. In the West, we we developed a principle where we could both fast and feast on the same days, which is why during Lent. Uh, for the Annunciation of the Blessed Virgin Mary and for the Feast of St. Joseph, we both fast for those uh, solemnities, uh, duplex of the first class and the pre-55. Now we come to the question of whether or not we should be fasting from meat on Friday uh, during the octave of, of Easter. First of all, it was it was the canonical discipline um, pre-55 to actually do so. So we know that the church doesn't say this is bad. Um, but if we, want, if, if we were making the arguments for the Annunciation and for the Feast of St. Joseph, uh, during Lent, then there's really no principle by which we can excuse ourselves uh, from also uh, abstaining from meat on the, the Friday during the octave of Easter, except for the fact that night, we're, we're legally bound to the, the 1983 code. And so fine, if you want to just, you know, pick and choose cafeteria Catholic, fine, go for it. Um, but but traditionally, I, I think if you were fasting on the Annunciation and fasting for the Feast of St. Joseph, then this Friday you should, or today, technically, uh, you should also be fat, abstaining from meat. Abstain for me today in the octave of Easter on Friday, the 23rd of April. Was that going to be your unpop, James? You look you look disappointed. No, I I, I look uh, miffed uh, because that was such a short, unpopular opinion that I haven't had time to gather my <laughs> own unpopular opinion. <laughs> you were hoping you would, that you yeah. would filibuster? Uh, yeah, yeah, I was hoping for a filibuster. Do you want yeah. me to jump in? I have a short one, so I'm not going to buy you much time. <laughs> Go ahead and jump I in. could buy you a minute here. Yeah. Okay, so my my unpopular opinion is that most traditional Catholics, uh, well, let's, well, let's put it this way. Most Catholics are cafeteria Catholics, and this is often something that we accuse our Novus Ordo people of being. They're like, oh, the Novus Ordites, they're all cafeteria Catholics because they believe in birth control or they believe in whatever. But we traditionalists, we're not cafeteria Catholics. We believe in what the magisterium teaches us. Malarkey. Malarkey on that because the truth is we're all cafeteria Catholics, especially traditionalists. In fact, 
the cafeteria for traditional Catholics is so much larger. We have so many more things to choose from. We can pick and choose from the 1983 Code of Canon Law or the 1917 Code of Canon Law. We can pick and choose between the triduums, 19, pre-1955, 1962. You can go to Bogus Ordo. There's even a 1965 at Clear Creek if you want to go to that. So the truth is we have so many more options to choose from. And the thing that really irks me about us traditionalists, we traditionalists, if I can, if I can be self-reflective, is that we speak about our various disciplines so dogmatically. I keep the three-hour fast. No, I keep the midnight fast. Well, no, I'm only bound to the one-hour fast. So I sip my Starbucks latte on the way into mass because it's a high mass. I can actually probably sip it through the introit and still make the one-hour fast. Everybody does what he or she can do for his or her family, and we all have to do our best. But it's time to dispense with the dogmatism with which we take up these various disciplines from either the 17 or the 83, because the truth of the matter is, is that almost everyone in tradition is guilty of being a cafeteria Catholic. None of us live truly according to the 17 code. None of us live truly liturgically. Uh, you know, it, uh, according to the pre-55 rubrics at all times, all of us have had slip-ups here and there, and many of us endorse some of those 1983 relaxations and, and modernist uh, tendencies as they suit us, and we wish them away and we pretend like it doesn't happen. Meanwhile, condemning others for not following the things that we have randomly cherry-picked out of the 17. Uh, so that's my unpopular opinion that traditionalists are more cafeteria Catholic than non-traditionalists than the Novus Ordites. Uh, wow. James, top that, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> well, to top that, I, I first would have to actually have something. <laughs> Man, I, I'm striking. Uh, my pistons are down. <laughs> it's getting late. I it mean, is. it's the weekend. It's, it is. It is the weekend. It's uh, my pistons are down. I don't have anything uh, gathered right now in my noggin to make uh, sense. Uh, if I start spewing something out, it would just be rambling. And uh, <laughs> we, I, we might ha- we might have to just do a, th- a three for poll. Yeah, I might what do, do a three for poll, or or I might have to introduce one at a later hour. Uh, you know, oh, what, what, it, what if what if what if James's unpopular opinion is that unpopular opinions are stupid? Yeah, unpopular opinions <laughs> are just stupid. Yeah, how about that? Unpops are stupid. <laughs> we should skip that. It it elongates the show. Or how, about, how, how, right. how about this? How about this? The rundown should do a conference. <laughs> oh, there we go. The rundown. That's unpop for the week. The rundown should do a conference. Rundown conference Thanks. live in person in St. Louis sometime in uh, in June. Uh, <laughs> I'll pick a weekend just randomly in St. Louis in June, and uh, to, totally to be determined though. Yeah, the entire TBD. schedule is TBD. 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 The, the speakers are TBD. TBD. The topics TBD. TBD. And it's already on sale. Half yeah. off. Yeah. <laughs> it's already on sale, baby. Right, let's do it. Woohoo! Uh, what are we looking so at here? These are the results of the last poll. Uh, are you seeing the screen? Oh, yeah. Look at this. Hey, I won last week. Did I win two in a row? Well, how can uh, how Bug won the one before you before this? Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, so Ryan, you, you beat me by what 0.5? That's that's miserable. Yeah, 0.5 percent. And Mike just barely nudges out brother by uh seven percent. 
89. It's a barely nudging out. That's seven, more that, yeah, 7%. We, we don't need a recount on that one. Right. That's, a, that's a comfortable margin of victory. Right, right. People just didn't want to kiss the feet of Nova Sordo. I guess. <laughs> I guess that's what it was. Wow. Right. This is the rundown. It is Friday night. We're so glad that you watched us. God bless you. And um, subscribe to the channel.